But I think that where we're putting a schedule ahead of people or a value of kindness, we can miss a lot of the living. This is Let It Out. I'm Katie. Today's guest, Madeline Dorr. She's a writer and interviewer exploring how we can broaden the definition of a day well spent. And we unpack that in this episode. She's contributed columns and features to BBC Work Life, The Design Files, ABC Life, and many more places. And she has been most notably maybe writing about how people navigate their days on her really popular site. You probably already know about it, Extraordinary Routines, and her brilliant podcast, Routines and Ruts. Highly recommend both. We get into all of the above in today's episode, as well as talking about her latest project, which is really exciting. It's a new book that is out today, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, and it's already out in Australia where she lives. It's called I Didn't Do the Thing Today. I flew through it, I got an early copy, and I loved it. I'm so excited for you to hear more about it. We get into the richness that comes from not doing the thing that you were going to do in a day and how growth comes from change. We get into the paradox of choice and infinite browsing mode, indecision, habits and routines, the richness that comes in ruts actually. And my favorite part I think is is this interesting section of her book about leaving room for kindness and surprise in our days. I loved speaking with her. I'm so excited for you to hear it. We recorded it recently, just last week. If you're listening to this in real time, it's super fresh. If you're tuning into this podcast for the first time, stick around at the end if you want to hear more about me and my work. And actually, I end up sharing quite a bit about me in this episode more than usual since there's a lot of parallels between Madeline and I. We overlap and and got into that a little bit. And if you've been listening for a while, welcome back. I'm so, so grateful that you're here and I want to get to this conversation. Enjoy my talk with Madeline from last week. Madeline, I'm so happy that you're here and we were, we were chatting before this and just so excited to talk and connect. And it's, been really nice spending the day with you, getting ready for this, reading your book, which congratulations. I'm so happy for you. It's truly incredible. I have so many things marked and um, places I want to go to talk about it. And yeah, it's just really cool to meet you. I'm so glad we're doing this. Me too, Katie. And likewise, it's such a treat for me to be on this podcast after listening for so long and breathing in and breathing out with you. And it's just one of my favorites. So it's such a treat to be chatting with you. And thank you for reading the book so thoughtfully and carefully. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I had no idea that you knew about the podcast. Do you remember how you found it? Oh, it's always interesting, isn't it? Trying to find the thread, but I think it's it's been 
on my radar for quite a while. And I was, I was in New York back in 2019 for a, a little stint and maybe it came up through that way. I can't pinpoint it, but it's, I've been listening and I, I think it's such beautiful, rich, rollicking conversations. I think what you do is very inspiring and, and very much informed my own podcast and, and the creation of that. So I, I, I love what you do in helping other people launch theirs as well. I think that you do that so well because so much of it is, is just starting and putting it out there. And I think that you're very, really good at helping people do that. Oh, well, thank you so much. And that means so much coming from you. Yeah, it's funny because your publicist reached out and told me about you and your book and like a, you know, it was really lovely and nice, but like somewhat form email. And I'm sure as you do, like as someone who interviews people, I get so many of those. And so I skim all of them because sometimes there's really great ones, but I can't say yes to all of them. And it's usually better Mm -hmm. if I'm the one reaching out and I'm the one excited about the interview. And when I saw yours, I was like, oh, yeah, I know, I know her. And I've been like, I don't remember how I found you or how we connected, but I was like very familiar with you and your work as well and couldn't like explain how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think we just, people can bob around each other in the, the online universe. And it's so nice when you can actually kind of bump into each other like we are now. So that's such a delight. Yeah. Well, to begin with, the title of this book is incredible. I didn't do the thing today. <laughs> I love how gentle the book is. Even in the title, I felt like this book was a pep talk to me and oh, so much gentleness and kindness. And I feel like in the words of the title, I I got what I got throughout the book in a very in a very small bit. And really it's, you know. To your point about the to-do list, like making making the list, making the schedule, having all that and holding it loosely and accepting the day for what it is. And you say this in the book, which I really loved. I just want to read this passage. Just as no two of us are the same, neither are our days and the moments within them. Embrace them as they are and as you are. After all, the most meaningful lives I've learned are often not the extraordinary, the perfect, or the problem-free ones. They're the ordinary lives lived with creativity, curiosity, kindness, and joy. Hmm. And one of the the things that I, I really took away from this is the comfort and soothingness of your voice throughout this book, you know, just having a, a good friend talk to me. And it, it helped me to understand the concept of just accepting a day for what it is and knowing that it's going to be different. And I'm curious if you've ever done this. And then I just want to regurgitate that and do it the next day. <laughs> but mm, that doesn't even work, you know, and I'm the same person. And so <laughs> it's really just allowing the day to be what it is. And the part that resonated with me the most that I would love if we could talk about is I was so happy to see you have a whole chapter really devoted to kindness. And you talk about how we miss so much life and humanity and even opportunities, opportunities for kindness and kindness is connection, which you talk about so beautifully in the book. We miss all of that when we are stuck 
when we are too attached to our routines, to our plan, when we're too busy. And Mm -hmm. I just really loved that entire chapter. What reminds you in your life to shift into being present when you do have a long to-do list? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for reading out of passage. That's such a thrill. And I will say that the voice is very much the voice that I need to hear as well. It's like this sort of um, <laughs> pep talk to Madeline too. And so it's it's these reminders that I need to hear again and again and again myself. Self-help in the truest sense, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And so this with the the kindness, everything is is a constant learning. And I think that it is really interesting to see that when we are rigid about our days and when we are, you know, told to optimize every moment and to keep up with the busyness, we have to schedule everything and we have to make sure that we prioritize. And with all of those things, there's this rigidity because even things like priorities are constantly shifting. You can have this planned day that every hour is accounted for. And then someone you love might get into an accident. And then that is a new priority that shifts within a second. Yeah, And so I think that it can be such a shame when we are so rigid about our days that we might ignore a phone call from someone or we might have to be on our phones as we walk down the street and not connect with anyone. Or we might be a bit brash with someone as we are sort of checking out at a store or something. And all of these things are, are very, very human and things that I do every day. I'm not a perfect um angel. But I think that when we can notice these moments where we're putting a schedule ahead of people or a value of kindness, we can miss a lot of the living, I think, in when we're on autopilot, I suppose yeah. is probably the way to put it. And it's a very fine balance, I think, because sometimes we might need to ignore a phone call because the thing that we're doing is really important to us. And so I think that kindness has a really broad definition And sometimes the kind of thing can be saying no, for example. I'm really starting to think a lot about people-pleasing and how that sounds like the kind thing, but actually you're not being kind to yourself or the person that you're people-pleasing. In some ways, you're manipulating the reality of something. So being kind is really about being honest and connecting truly But it's also about making generous assumptions about other people too. And I think that that is such an important practice in terms of, I guess it's the flip side. Like if someone is rude to you at a a checkout, rather than layering rudeness on top of that, it's such a practice to think, okay, well, generous assumptions, maybe they've got something on their mind. Generous assumptions, maybe they didn't sleep the night before. And you can kind of soften kindness into that moment yourself. And so I think that if we each sort of soften interactions in our day, remembering where we can to make generous assumptions or remembering where we can to be a little kinder than necessary, that can be something that softens and spreads and, and kindness can beget kindness. But I think it's 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 just so human that we forget because we are on this hamster wheel of busyness. And that is perpetuated by expectations from society that that's what we've we wear busyness as a badge of honor rather than kindness like no one says hi how are you I'm kind I'm kind today like it's sort of we say busy and so I think it's it's I think I see kindness and curiosity 
and creativity as just these counterweights, I think, to the cult of busyness. And it doesn't mean that we, once we know that, we become these perfectly present, kind people all the time. It's it's a remembering in that moment of what actually is important in our days. Is it doing the thing? Is it checking off the to-do list? Is it sticking to our routine rigidly? Or is it being a bit more malleable, a little bit kinder than necessary and making those generous assumptions where we can remember to? Oh, it's so good. I really, I love this so much. I mean, and also it's so out of our control, right? Like those sorts of things that blindside you on a Tuesday and knock you, mm-hmm. suddenly your to-do list doesn't matter, right? Exactly. And yet we sort of can be so rigid. If if that can happen, maybe we can be the ones to to prior- reprioritize for ourselves as well. Like we don't have to wait for the the emergency, the tragedy. We can maybe think, well, maybe I can, if it is malleable in those moments, maybe it's more malleable than we think yeah. in other moments as well. Hmm. Yeah, there's this George Saunders quote, and I think he says something like, he's talking about regret, and he says, Hmm. the only times that I have felt regret have been when I had the opportunity to be kind or be of service, and I acted sensibly, and you know, like essentially, like was on his to do list, and it right, it's so true. Like beautiful, I love your ability to remember quotes as well. By the way, Katie, it's so impressive. Thank you. It's like I'm a. It's not that many. It's just like you. Yeah, this is the same (laughs) ones over and over again. But yeah, it it really. When I was reading that whole chapter, it really kept reminding me of that, and I was really depressed in in 2019 and I had been really burnt out and a a relationship ended as a result of that pretty much. And I remember through therapy and my mom really lived in this very stressed way. I remember our, you know, mutual person that we've interviewed, Mari Andrew did the podcast during that time. And we were talking about how like now people are talking about anxiety a lot more about kind of when we were growing up, like our parents would talk about stress a lot in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with this, you know, stress and busyness and all of that. And having this relationship kind of fail based on me overworking and control and rigidity and stuckness. My mom said, you know, the work will always be there, but the people won't because <laughs> mm-hmm. that was the case for yeah. her. And then I had to learn that lesson the hard way. And you know, I think it really speaks to the gentleness that this book has and and, and what we've learned going through this. And with our shared curiosity about people's lives, you mentioned the through line of, of your interviews being about how people spent their days. And there's this quote by Annie Dillard that I know you know, and has always stuck with me. And I think of all the time, and many people probably know it as well. How you spend your days is how you spend your life. Mm-hmm. I think about it all the time, truly. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious if you, like me, were always curious about the insides of people and how they spend their days. And I think I heard you say something like you felt like you were getting it wrong. So if you could just learn about people and their morning and evening <laughs> routines and and what they what they did that that you would unlock something. And I I'm really curious to know if if you've always been like that because I I definitely relate and you know really was an impetus for this show as well. 
Mm. Yeah, it's such a beautiful quote, isn't it? And I feel like it's I've been badgering my friends with questions about what they do and and their routines and what they have for dinner and when they see their friends and and all of that sort of thing for for decades. And so I think it's always been there as this curiosity. I think it's been again it comes back to this idea of trust. So I did it's a learning curve in terms of being able to trust yourself and 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 but this feeling of I'm getting it wrong and everybody else seems to have it figured out. That was definitely a feeling that p- has pervaded and drove the the curiosity behind speaking to people formally and interviewing them about their days because then I could really investigate that that <laughs> that comparison that I've got it wrong on the inside, everybody else has it sorted out on the outside. And so I, I've always been drawn to what people do in a day because as Annie Dillard beautifully put, it's it encapsulates how we we spend our lives. But it was interesting because I think I I for a long time put a lot of pressure on that very quote. It's like, okay, if how I spend my day is how I spend my life, then I bet I better get my day totally. perfectly optimized. And yeah, it better, better be I better be seizing every moment. And so I really channeled that into the project initially. But then once I started having these conversations with people and asking people outside of just a dinner party with friends, sitting down and 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 really swimming around in someone's day, I suppose, I started to see that people aren't seizing every moment of their day. People are having moments of bouts of procrastination, sometimes weeks of being stuck in a rut. People do self-doubt. People also think that they're getting it wrong. People have fears. People have foibles. And so it was really illuminating to see that Okay, so we, how we spend our day might be how we spend our life, but actually, it takes a really, really, really long time to figure out how to spend that day, and that's always changing day by day. Each day varies, and so we can't have these perfect replicas of routines and and perfectly optimized day days, and and no one seems to. And so I've I've actually sort of edited that quote in my mind that has proven more helpful for me and it's how we spend our days is how we slowly navigate our lives mm-hmm. because it is a it's an experiment rather than this set formula and we can look to other people for inspiration and yet it really is about us figuring out what works for us um there's a big storm just came in so oh wow. <laughs> i wonder if you can hear the the rain on the tin roof it's very <laughs> very no up. but it sounds really oh. <laughs> romantic <laughs> um, <laughs> so i think that the curiosity has always been there but over time what's been affirmed is actually that maybe maybe i haven't had it wrong you know like maybe i've just had to find my own way and we all we all need to and no one else has it completely figured out we're all just navigating our days and turning them over and trying to find what works for us. Yeah. And I think, you know, knowing that it's cyclical, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's in the way we spend our days and our weeks and our lives like changes. And I, it's so funny because as, as you were talking, I was listening to you on another podcast as well, discussing this about your routines and, 
listening to other people's routines and, and allowing yours to change, you know, including what time you wake up and the order of doing things and allowing it to be imperfect and trusting the day is just going to be what it's going to be, you know? And mm -hmm. it's interesting that I was preparing for this conversation today because we're coming off of the week of the holidays and it's the beginning of the new year and the last two weeks of the year, you know, as, as they always are, I think no matter where you are in the world, it's this collective dysregulation, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on if there's a pandemic or not, you know, socially, there's a lot going on and perhaps travel or other responsibilities or, and then, you know, a quietness with not a ton going on. And then the, the week back in, it's like, okay, now we pick it up and do the routines mm -hmm. and get into everything. And this week, I, I was telling you a little bit before we started recording, I am pretty sick. It's not COVID, but, but I'm just, I haven't been sick for a while. And so mm -hmm. my body made me pretty slow moving. It made me linger in that mode that cycle I was in last week and I didn't want to, right? I was like, mm -hmm. I want to be waking up early and I want to be doing, you know, and it wasn't, I was forced to not do it. And and it's it's the attachment to the routines that hurts us, right? Like it's the mm -hmm. attachment to wanting something to be different than it is that hurts us. And trying things on, I think is really beautiful. I, I heard someone say that their meditation teacher in high school, which like, first of all, so cool. They had a meditation teacher in high school, but she yeah. used to always say things like, try it on, you know, like, here's an idea, try it on. And I think that's a really great mode to be in. And I'm, I'm curious if you did this because as I was, you know, hearing about this and hearing about, you know, you talking about like allowing the day to be what it's going to be. And in a week that I was forced to do that, it was, it was interesting. And then also during a time where there's this collective momentum to push and change and grow, I was having to, to actually move slower. And then hearing about all the different routines and all the, um, you know, the, what you took away from all of these interviews, I was reflecting on all the interviews that I've done over these last nine years. And I don't know if you know this or, or remember, but one question that I always ask on the podcast that I've asked since the very beginning is, what are your morning and evening routines? Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you did this, but how often did you try them on when people would give you their their morning and evening routines because through doing your project extraordinary routines because i when i began was so into wellness and i think where you were coming from with creativity and being living a creative life and being a freelancer and wanting to know like how do they do it how do they make money like what do they do when and how do i do that and then because the way i i looked at it in my mind and i'm curious if this was the same for you was okay, cool. If I want to have their life, I'll just do what they do. Right. So let me just break that down mm -hmm. step by step. Cool, cool, cool. I'll eat what they eat. I'll live where they live and, you know, spit out their existence. I'll be able to have the, you know, boyfriend, the city, the <laughs> job, the money, the, you know, all of that. And I learned very quickly that we're, 
all, or actually pretty damn slowly, (laughs) we're all different and that's impossible. And what worked for one person in 2013 wasn't going to work for me. And so much of it is luck and timing and individual. And I would still try everything they told me, you know, I'm still, and I think you mentioned this actually in the book. I think there's a funny line in here where you talk about like, I put the butter in my coffee. I did the cold shower. I did, you know, and I was doing the same thing where like more from a wellness perspective, but I, you know, I was asking these very specific questions of like, okay, what, what time do we do? When do we do what and how long and when, and how many chia seeds in the smoothie? And so then I'm, you know, I'm trying on everybody's morning routine (laughs) and I'm eating the whole, I'm gorging on buffet instead of just trying things that all at once. And it's, it was so fun need to reflect because I remember there being a time where I was packing in so much in the mornings and I had the luxury that I could, but I'm like oil pulling and meditating and exercising and making tea and, and morning pages and, and then stressed out that I haven't started work at like two, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so how much did like trying on these routines impact you and, and what did that, that give you? Or was that almost the impetus of, of this book? Yeah, so that's I was just nodding along because <laughs> the the trajectory is very similar. The experimentation and 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 trying it on was very much embedded in the conversations. So there there would be experiments that would follow after after each. I would I would be sort of seeing okay, well, this person gets up early, so I'll I'll try to do the same. And and I even did this month long experiment after I'd done quite a few interviews. I pulled out habits and rituals that I thought were like, okay, well, these are the these are the key things that successful people are doing. And so I did this accumulative experiment. What were some um, of those? Well, it was things like waking up early. So each, so the month long, I, I structured it where each day I would pick up a new habit. So the first day was wake up at six in the morning. And then day two would be wake up at six in the morning and have the bulletproof coffee. And then day three <laughs> would be wake up at 6 a.m., meditate coffee. So I'd start to stack them and accumulate. It sounds so overwhelming. I know it's so overwhelming. And so there was this sort of, I suppose, trying to speak to, in many ways, the the ridiculousness of, of trying to replicate other people's routines and set the bar so high. Here I was in one month trying to crowd my days with these new habits and in the hopes of arriving at this perfect routine that is cobbled together by all of these people that I interviewed. And in the end, it was absolutely exhausting. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that what I quickly discovered is that it is quite exhausting trying to replicate someone else's day. And as I speak about in the book, I started out looking for this perfect recipe what I soon discovered is that we all have different ingredients that we're working with. Mm. And so it is impossible to make the exact recipe. And that's what can be disappointing. And as I think instead, it's really become about appreciating all of our variances and and seeing that not only do each of us vary, but our days vary as well. And I can't expect myself to have this exact same energy or attention span or even when, you know, as you've just said, you've been unwell and we need to be able to appreciate or honor or be flexible and, and kinder to ourselves in the, in the fact that we we do vary in so many different ways. And so it's, it can only be exhausting or to our detriment sometimes to be trying to 
to live someone else's day. And so, again, I think it's it's trying things on if you have a genuine curiosity to. I think I learned very quickly that my overly ambitious month-long experiment was not the way to go about it. Instead, I think that the things that have, have stayed with me are the things that truly spark. And so, they're often the things that you discover yourself. And so, the conversations very quickly sort of shifted into talking more about common stumbles rather than searching for different tips and hacks and routines and things. And so, it really sort of morphed as my curiosity morphed. When did you start Extraordinary Routines? So I started Extraordinary Routines in 2014. And so that was very much finished graduating and was looking for work in journalism and found it very difficult to break in and saw the power of, you know, if you can't find the job that you want, create it in some small way. So this was a, a labor of love that I picked up and put down as I had the time and and curiosity. And that's what sort of led to eventually finding work in the journalism field. And I kept that a lot ticking along, bobbing along as I sort of became a freelancer and that sort of thing. So the experiment would have been placed maybe very early on, so maybe 2015 or so, or 16 even, and then sort of experimented in, in different ways and expanded the project beyond just interviews and into sort of more compiling the insights. I also studied journalism, you know, and I think we graduated mm-hmm. probably at a similar time that it was like peak blogging back then. And I happened to yeah. be interested in wellness. And so I, you know, leaned in there and that was sort of the, the topic. But my trajectory similarly went from asking these questions about people's habits and routines, but also realizing like true wellness isn't green juice and yoga and what they're doing in the morning. It's how they're spending their lives and relationships and creativity and connection. And it it broadened, you know, as you know. And so did my interests. You know, I think when you do a project for so long, you have to keep it honest and, and true with what's ever changing. And and so much of it is cyclical and and seasonal and something that you talked about that really resonated with me on a different podcast was that in those early years, feeling like you couldn't continue the project or start the project without it looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so design and like hiding behind that, which I also really relate to. And even still now, like feeling this discomfort of like, I really want it to look a certain way, but I I can't it doesn't feel like the inside of my brain because it's expensive to have something continually feel like the inside of your brain because we change so quickly what our tastes and visually. And I think we're both pretty visual people too. And you had a really interesting perspective on that about being able to surpass perfectionism and and put things out there anyway, which you know I think we've both done. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that it was, I can use all, I have all these tricks in my mind that can help me delay starting or sharing. And I've often found that waiting for things to to look perfect or to have the perfect tools has been a really clever way for me to delay the starting of a project. And so 
as you said, it can be really expensive to get websites and things developed. And so that was that meant that I could perpetually postpone starting Extraordinary Routines because it was a labor of love and I didn't have the funds to have a beautiful website designed for me. It meant that it would just, I had these interviews that I'd completed just suspended there. And then my dear friend actually said to me that, you know, you don't need to have this perfect website. You can just start on Squarespace <laughs> and have that and then and then learn as you go. And the important thing is that it's done, not perfect. And that really resonated. And it was the, the gentle push that I needed to just start. And I'm so glad that I did it that way um, because the only way to actually build momentum and to learn and to grow and to, to actually move past perfectionism is to begin um and it it very much doesn't need to be perfect and so i think that that pattern replicates in in all of my projects so even with starting a podcast it was you know you can spend so much time researching and and trying to find the perfect microphone and the perfect setup and i'm sure you speak about this in in your podcast course but at the end of the date it really just it doesn't matter. It's about using what you have and and learning as you go, and that's the that's the most important part. So I think I've I've really tried to spot when I'm in that delay of perfectionism, and then of course the delay of finishing, which is the other side to perfectionism, comes with its own stumbles as well. And so the two can be quite interlinked because again you're waiting for it to to perhaps look perfect or to sound perfect, but really it's about putting it out there into the world and and then allowing something to uh, to learn from the mistakes of that and yeah. to, that's when you'll actually that's when you'll actually see what needs to be done to make it perfect if it ever could be and I don't think anything ever is but it's the only way is through iteration yeah exactly so oh my gosh so well said and that's there's a lot I want to pick up on I to your point we have to put it things out in the world, even if they're not perfect, even if it's not done, because that's how you can grow and change. And and I do say that in my in my podcasting workshop. And that's I'm not a perfectionist. I often put out things with typos. I have put out a lot of content over the years. And having things out that I don't love or really resonate with or don't like I keep saying like feel like the inside of my brain or who I am now it's challenging for my ego. And I realized that so much of me, you know, hiding behind a, a website or design wasn't so much perfectionism, but was ego of like wanting it to look cool, like wanting to be a certain way. And I'm trying to let that go. It, it's still very present in me. I'm, I'm still figuring this out and feel far from my old work and almost cringe at it. And I also feel like that is part of the creative process is like putting things out to your point because allowing it to be absorbed by other people means you can ideate and improve mm. only when you get feedback. And it also is the part that allows connection. Like the best part of creativity is when you put something out and someone else can resonate with it or feel like they're seen within it or it can entertain them or connect them. And like you mentioned, the, the podcasting course had a live coaching element to it, right? Like I would, 
I would coach people about their podcasts. And I, I thought it would be a time where they were trying, you know, asking about their microphone or their topic or their naming it. I'm pretty good at naming things. But often the questions really came to this exact piece of work, right? Like this exact like threshold of uncertainty and what is my friend from high school going to think of this thing or can I put this out there? And it was me just giving permission slips to people being like, mm -hmm. yes, you can make your thing. Yes, you yes. can put it out there not being perfect. And that led me to work with people one-on-one -on -one doing creative consulting, which I do now. Yeah. I thought what was really interesting was when you were talking about how you sometimes have this this cringe moment looking back at at your work from yeah. previous years and and want to erase <laughs> work from the the internet. And I think that that's such a common shared feeling for anyone who's been sharing work online or otherwise for a period of time. And it's it's just I think this beautiful testament to to the very thing that we were talking about with perfectionism, being that. We have to learn as we go, and the only way to learn is to put it out and to put it out imperfectly. And so, like, what a wonderful thing that you actually do look back and cringe. Like, I yeah. know it's sort of it's it's so tricky for the ego, but it's actually proof in the pudding, really. That it's like, oh wow, I actually I have grown so much, and totally, I should be proud of the fact that I'm cringing. And so I just thought that that was really beautifully put when you were talking about that in a way, because I think it's it's the very thing that should fuel us is it, oh, I've, I've come so far and changed there. And I think that it is that ego that you, you were speaking about and, and how in, in some ways it's, it, well, it is there to protect us, but we can learn so much when we, when we put it aside. And then there's this sort of upside sometimes to perfectionism, I think, and, and just knowing when, when something isn't ready, I think is a beautiful art as well. So knowing that we do need to share in that beautiful cycle that you spoke about too in the creative process. And then sometimes we do need to, we do know that there's something more in us. And I think that something I'm trying to sort of help in terms of knowing the difference is, is knowing the difference between a standard and an expectation. And so you can have standards with your work and you can know when you can do better. Like there is, there is that sort of sometimes that instinct in us and we can improve and that can be a really satisfying experience when we do push ourselves that little bit more. But then it's putting the ego aside and not having expectations around how it might be received. And I think that's sometimes what can be the thing that stops people from sharing is the expectation of what other people think or the worry about what other people will think. And so I think that can be a, a way that I'm trying to make that balancing act in my mind and, and try to check in with the ego. I think that we should invite all the cringes maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, wouldn't it be such a bummer if I looked back at something from six years ago or, or 10 years ago or three years ago and I was like, yeah, it's exactly how I'd be now. It would mean that we hadn't grown and we hadn't changed. Mm. And perfectionism, the podcast episode that I was just editing, the one that's coming out this week, the guest, he says that perfection is dead. It's like, empty, right? And like openness mm. and fluidity are imperfect and that's alive, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it in Latin, it means complete. And so if we're perfect, we're complete. And then if we're complete, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and that's why I think that's a really comforting thing for me. I, I sort of apply that to my own to-do list in terms of it I used to get so 
upset at myself for for not having done things yet, for not having finished things and this long list of of goals and and how they were incomplete. And instead of seeing them, I used to see them as failures because they weren't complete, but then making just a switch to seeing them as possibilities was so much more enriching because that's more alive than having things finished. And so not yet done is not failure, I think, and it's possibility instead. Yes. Oh, that's so good. This episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas' mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. I really love that. Bombas designs their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes that you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxurious, cozy feel. Cozy is one of my top 10 favorite words and uh, feelings that I like to have my clothes feel on my body. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options for performance styles and activities. I love them. I wear them all the time. Bombas underwear has a barely there feel, which is really what you want in an underwear, right? I'm really excited to be working with them. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash let it out and get 20% off any purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash let it out for 20% off. Bombas.com slash let it out. We're all really inundated with email right now. At least I am. And it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Today's sponsor, think of it as EMT for your email. So as messages flow in, SaneBox does some triage for you, sifting only the important emails into your inbox and directing all the other distracting ones into your sane later folder so you know which messages to pay attention to now and which ones you can get to later. It also has a lot of really nifty features like the sane black hole where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you don't want to hear from again and sane reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. That one's really helpful for me. And best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email. You don't have to make a new thing. It's really, really easy. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Try it completely free. Visit SaneBox.com slash let it out today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox.com slash let it out. Okay, for this ad break, we want you to take a break. Roll your shoulders back. (laughs) Mine are usually up by my ears. Unclench your jaw. I have a terrible habit of clenching my jaw. Take a deep breath, which we like to do on this podcast. Sometimes we need reminders to do these things. And calm 
can help. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. You can clear your head with daily guided meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off into sleep with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. Those are my favorite. And if you go to calm.com slash let it out, you'll get a limited time 40% off Calm's premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content added every single week. Over 100 million people are using the Calm app around the world. So for our listeners to this show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion, 40% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash let it out. Go to calm.com slash let it out for 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash let it out. I really love this app. I meditate every single day and I really like using guided meditations and I've really enjoyed their sleep stories. They're so cool. They're these really interesting, cool people reading bedtime stories to you and I love to turn them on when I'm falling asleep. So check it out today. Let me know what you think. Both being people who interview people. I would love to talk about that and and get a little bit meta (laughs) and Mm -hmm. in this interview, talk about interviewing and, you know, share some notes, I guess, because I love extraordinary routines and we've both interviewed. We have some overlap in the people that we've interviewed with Tina S maker and Ashley C Ford and maybe some others, but One thing that I heard you say on another podcast that I definitely really have come to understand. And I think I understood on some level when I began, but has changed and hopefully become more apparent. But interviewing is so intuitive and you need to be so present for it to be good in my case. And or that's been the case for me. And I'm curious if it has been for you. And and also I find that being... There are some people like... There's this really great podcast that was on for one season. And I don't know if you listened to it, but it's called The Turnaround. Essentially, it was him interviewing interviewers about interviewing, oh. right? So he had on, you know, Larry King and Terry Gross and Ira Glass and um, all of these greats, and I, I learned so much from it. And and you know, I think you're like alluding to the podcasting course that I used to do and still exists on on the internet, the podcast kit. But I always recommend that to people who want to do interviews, mm-hmm. but. There's this one with Larry King and he talks about like showing up without being prepared at all. Like he purposely like wouldn't read the person's book and wanted to have fully a beginner's mind. And I think we both take an opposite approach or, mm-hmm. you know, of being very, very prepared and having a lot of notes. And the better I, the more experience I've gotten at this, the more comfortable I am with tossing those notes completely, jumping around having them and then they're in there and then just being present. So I'd love if if you could tell me what your experience with interviewing has been. 
Mm, yes, I think we definitely share similar approaches there, Katie. And I think that I like to be very, very prepared with guests, which means that there's there's less interviews that I, I, I put out because of the, the time intensive nature of, of really immersing yourself in someone's work. And so reading their books and, and listening to other interviews that they've done, really preparing and, and trying to find, I suppose, a thread to, to draw out that maybe will be new for them as well. Because I think that I'm sure you've had this experience too, when you're speaking to someone who's been interviewed a lot, it can become quite wrote for them. And so it's yeah. kind of, it, I want it to be an enriching conversation for the person I'm interviewing, as well as for listeners and myself and my own curiosities. And so I think that's why I began with speaking to people about their routines. It was really about trying to demystify how people do what they do. So I was sort of looking not only at their the shiny exterior of creative success and trying to sort of delve deeper into that, but it also was really helpful to have a specific through line with the conversations and and maybe people hadn't delved right into their process or what their days look like or their daily stumbles as much. And so you you had sort of a focal point for the conversations. And so I think that it's very much about being prepared and, and immersing myself in their work and then trying to to draw out something new. And I think that's what you put so beautifully is that as you get more comfortable with with the interviewing process, you can trust yourself a little bit more that yes, you've got all the questions maybe, or you've got an arc for the the conversation, but you're also really present, as you said, and you're you're paying attention and you're there in the conversation so that it's not rigid, it's not following a, a set question list. It's really able to bounce around. And it's quite interesting when you're in that conversation, often you find that like I look at the my my notes afterwards, I'm like, oh, I, I did actually cross off every question just in a different order to what I expected. And so I think that's that's a beautiful lesson. I think that the art of interviewing is almost the art of living in a yeah. way because you do have to um you have to trust yourself and you do have to be prepared and and preparation is never wasted. But yeah. when you're in the moment, you have to be open to the whims and to be paying attention and to to be okay with things unfolding differently. And isn't that just a day in many ways, yeah. Katie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it, right? Like we talk about this often in my my other podcast with Serena Wolf called Spiraling. We we did an episode that the most recent one, the title is Hold It Loosely, because mm-hmm. we just kept coming back to that again and again. It was like a year in review episode. And that's it. Like hold everything loosely, like have it, have the schedule, have the plan, have the to-do list, have the list of questions, have the preparation, have the idea, but then let it go, you know, because in the letting it go is presence. In the letting it go is kindness, is humanity, is messiness. And it's all out of our control anyway. And Mm -hmm. there's this really great line from Eckhart Tolle about, I was talking with my friend Val about manifestation, I guess. And she was saying, we were kind of like laughing about it. And and she gave me this Eckhart Tolle line that I hadn't heard before. And he says, regarding manifestation, I think, and making lists, he was like, who are you? to think that you know what you want, you know? (laughs) 
And I, yes, I, I love that. I think it's so true. You know, like I, who am I to think that this list of questions about your work and your book is the correct thing, right? Like what actually wants to come through is if I'm really present and I listen to you and we get into a good volley and you say what is interesting to you and what you're feeling today, that's so much more interesting. And if, if someone wants to learn like facts about you, I'm sure they can find them on the bio page of your website or on someone's Wikipedia, you know? And I've found that in doing, you know, we're, we're nearly at 400 interviews and I've been doing this for nine years. And just recently, I think I've actually learned the lesson of like, it's okay to not get to everything on your list. Like honestly, in the last like four or five interviews, I've been okay yeah. with jumping around. And, and I think that's why they've been so long. Like some of the interviews, I'm like, mm-hmm. good God, did it need to be two and a half hours? Like I, the only reason it was two and a half hours was because there was maybe like an hour of that that was good. It was just some of them, I think, needed to be that long. or But a lot of times it was like me not holding it loosely, like me clenching and forcing a list that I walked in with that didn't really need to be there and trying to, you know, in the anti, the quote David Bowie has about like, whenever you second guessed an audience, the work suffered, right? Like holding to what people, what we think people want to hear the interview suffers. And when we're selfish about it and we're asking actually what we're curious about and present, just like in writing, if you're more specific, it actually lands with more people, right? Which is like so mm-hmm. opposite. And I think that I'm just recently understanding that I can always come back if I don't get the questions that I wanted to, like, hopefully someone will come back or I wasn't meant to, or that's okay. And and like you said, to your point, often... I kind of do get all of the questions really if I I just mm-hmm. did, wasn't in the way I thought. Yes, exactly. And um yeah, it's it's beautifully put. I think that we yeah, again the parallels are so there in terms of we won't get to everything on our list in a day and in a life and I I um yeah, I think that that's it really is it does reflect. I think that's why I love interviewing because it does reflect the juicy bits of life like getting to be curious, getting to connect with people, getting to learn. Yeah. And it's it's connection. I, I talked to Julia Tertian about a year ago and she had recently or somewhat recently began her podcast. And and she was saying, especially, you know, from the place of post-pandemic isolation, finding connection with people, which you can actually do here. Like we are mm-hmm. across the world from each other, you mm-hmm. know, and I feel like in this time I spend with you, I will actually feel connection however to your to your point about keeping it fresh for the person being interviewed if i was just you know sound bite after sound bite like what was the process what was this like regurgitating things which i might do a little bit here because i do want to put some pennies into your jukebox to you know p- parse out some things that i found really interesting and and get your thoughts on but also keeping it hopefully fresh and new because it's in those moments that of uncertainty and freshness that make us feel alive. And, and to your point, exactly the same with our days, like doing the mm-hmm. the new thing, the different thing. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, lucky for you, uh, I've this being on the interviewee side is fresh and new. Oh, great! <laughs> so you've got it's an interesting thing to sort of flip for me with with a book coming out and and putting my own lessons and accumulation of of insights from all the interviews I've done. It's interesting to now flip the table. Being the question asker, that has there is a little bit more certainty to it. It's an interesting challenge for me to be on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, a, again, another lesson that that I'm learning. I think I was inserting myself a lot more in the conversations early on and, you know, with a bit of an agenda and and just learn, you know, I'm really, I'm ju- I feel like I'm just now maybe getting, getting good at the interviewing very, very recently. I feel like I'm finding a stride because I'm, you know, practice, but mm. it takes time with, yeah. with anything. One last thing I'd love for you to talk about as you know before we get to some rapid fire questions but can you talk about the difference between ruts and and routines i i love the way that that you speak about that yeah oh a, a favorite topic because i i love the overlap between a routine and a rut and it and just the 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 way that we frame it so differently but actually they've got this there's this cycle i think I'm really drawn, so I've got the podcast called Routines and Ruts, and that was really an extension of my project, Extraordinary Routines, because I started to see how interlinked routines and ruts were. And I think it stems from, even if we look at what a routine really means and and how a, a routine is a is a pattern performed repeatedly and regularly, even the synonyms for routine are things like mundanity. <laughs> and so it's interesting that we put routine on a pedestal and we you know there's so many there's a proliferation of articles all about how to get the best routine and optimize your routine but actually what we're optimizing is potentially something that is monotonous and a routine if it is a regular pattern can become a groundhog day and when you look at the definition of a rut it's it's also when you're when you're stuck in that pattern and so when does a routine, this thing that we put on a pedestal, actually become the thing that we get stuck in? We get stuck in a rut of this same old, same old Groundhog Day. And yet, even though they are so similar and, and overlap, a rut is something that when you're in one, whether it is because your routine has become monotonous and you find yourself stuck in a rut with the repetitiveness of your days, or whether you're in a rut because of external circumstances, be it a heartbreak or something happening with your mental health or physical health we when people are in a rut we're so impatient with it we say oh you know you'll get you'll get through it or even get over it <laughs> we can be quite harsh with people who are who are stuck and so i think that after speaking to people about their routines but also these places of stuckness and seeing the parallels i really want to sort of be in defensive ruts because i think it actually takes being in that in the rut and being in that the stuck place and noticing that we're stuck that is actually what allows us to refresh our days again and so i think that there's so much richness in the rut it's when we can finally see actually this repetitive pattern is no longer serving me and i do feel stuck with something and it's where we can actually have enough space and attention to actually think, no, this is this is not working. I'm stuck. 
And then acknowledging that is what allows us to change. To get out of it, actually, is it can have so many different ways out. So there's no one way, but sometimes it can be a knock that helps us. So we can suddenly sort of that heartbreak can actually be the thing that that energizes us and, and pushes us to change. And other times we can be in a rut and it can feel like nothing's changing. And we can even be doing all the right things when we're in a rut. I'm not, I'm sure you've had this experience where you you find yourself in the rut and so you you do turn to journaling more or you're meditating, you're exercising, you're eating well, you're doing all the right things, but it just feels like nothing's changing and you're still stuck. But actually underneath it all, there is something churning, there is something moving and, and slowly but surely we're retooling ourselves. And so I speak about in the book about this overlap between routines and ruts, but how we do need to have that nudge and that nudge, sometimes we need to be patient with it if it feels like nothing's changing, or sometimes it can it can be external and be something that, you know, we might move house, we might have that urge, or we might move cities, or we might end a relationship, or we might change careers, and that can be the nudge that that finds us into a new rhythm. There's such a beauty to it. I think it's the, the rut is the very thing that interrupts the pattern, so we find a new one. So I'd love us to... <laughs> embrace them a little bit more and be patient with them because they're they're really the the growth that I think we all look for as well. Oh, so I wrote down richness in the rut will probably be the title. I like the alliteration. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny. I I wrote this newsletter a couple of weeks ago and it was based on a conversation I had with my friend Isabel, because I tend to be a bit too dogmatic with routines. And especially when I'm single, especially when I'm spending a lot of time alone, I've noticed this pattern myself of overworking and getting a bit too caught up into rituals and routines, almost in an OCD sort of a way. And I was sharing this with her and she told me this Esther Perel quote, which I think you would really like. Maybe you've heard this, but she says that stuck equals stability gone rigid. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Isn't that good? And I was like, wow, mm. that's that's it. It's like noticing that these things are harmful and, and being able to pivot and notice that there's goodness in within that process. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it just really felt aligned mm. with with everything that that you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it, it we can find the st- stability. Yeah, it beautifully links into this idea of balance and how we we think that we're searching for this perfect balance where both sides of the scale are even, but actually what we're looking for is stability, but stability is in flux. So we kind of have to have the instability to then wobble back to the stability. Yeah, I love not how be rigid you, with that. Yeah, I love how you talk about that with not searching for balance, but allowing the wobble. It's part of the book that I really loved. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that we're always wobbling. And so it's about learning to be okay with the wobble. Because if we weren't wobbling, if we were perfectly balanced, we'd be so still. And isn't that, again, that stuckness? And it'd be kind of dull (laughs) to be perfectly balanced and still, I think. So let's wobble. (laughs) Yeah. And it allow we need flexibility. It's Mm. we're recording this at the beginning of the the new year. And my friend Zoe always has us pick cards, like a word of the year card. And then this year I chose, and my word was flexibility. And I oh, kind of wow. looked at her, right? I looked at her like, is this correct? And she was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. You, oh, yeah. Like oh, you get so great. caught up in things, you know, because to do the wobble that you're talking about, 
we have to have flexibility and compromise. Mm. And I think living alone and spending a lot of time alone, when you're in a relationship or you're around people, you're forced to compromise. And I've become a bit out of practice in doing that. And, you know, having the self awareness of needing to be more flexible and the same, and having the self awareness of knowing when you're in a rut, you know, and finding the richness there is, is I think what this book really helps you to do. Yeah, I, I hope so. That would be, I think if it could help people find that permission slip to, to be okay with their own day and their own way of going about it and, and finding that flexibility, that would be beautiful. Yeah, what a beautiful way. Hopefully, this affirms your word choice. <laughs> yeah, year. totally. I like to, when I pick a word, it, it's sort of, I know it fits right if I keep encountering that a few days after landing on it. And so, yeah, yeah. maybe that's a, a sign for, for flexibility for you too. I think so. <laughs> stamp of approval for the word. Fully. I want to read another passage from the book. The last one I read was towards the end, and this one's towards the beginning. And you know, you mentioned it being self-help and I think those words together bring up something in me. You know, I, I wrote a self-help book as well and I, I've loved so much of that, that content, but something about it can be very prescriptive. And with my book on journaling, it, it was really a way for me to be like, I don't have the answers, but like, I think they're in you. Right. And your book really speaks to that point as well. And, and you write about it so beautifully in in the beginning. And you say, the thing about advice, perhaps it seems odd to open a book like this one, which explores topics such as productivity, balance, and self-discipline, and discover that the author doesn't proclaim to have sorted out these things in life completely. I don't know the key to how to be better, to improve, to change, to fix. I don't think there is a secret hack, a right move to make that will cure wobbly, messy, imperfect aspects of being human. Instead of fixating on changing these things about ourselves, I think they are the very things that are important to embrace as we maneuver through our days. When I read that, I was like, yes, I'm in the right place because I believe, and I'm curious if, if this is, you know, again, I'm, I'm assuming this is something we share. Anyone that tells you they have it all figured out and they have a definitive way to eat or live or work or anything who doesn't allow for flexibility and wobble to our point, I think you should run in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because yeah, what's what's behind that certainty? If, if you have that certainty, you don't have any room for learning, do you? Because you've got it all figured out and that's just such a shame because I think that's what we're here for is is that bundle of things that we were speaking about earlier is the curiosity, the learning, the the kindness. So I think you're cutting yourself off from a lot of living if you're proclaiming to have the answers already and proclaiming to have it all figured out. There's not much more. You're complete. And as we spoke about earlier, if you're complete, oh, you might not be living fully. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's far more interesting to kind of keep exploring and I think that that's also knowing I think it's incredibly freeing if you acknowledge that you don't have it all figured out and and that you're not certain about everything or anything then you keep that freedom to change your mind and I think that it all sort of ties into I haven't ever really been great at sticking to a routine and coming to embrace that and really seeing what's behind that is that 
I'm a person that's changing like we all are and I'm a person with great contradictions and, and, and instead of trying to sand off those edges in myself and, and make myself perfect and, and smoothed over as this person that, that is co- um, completely consistent and routined and certain, I've come to see that it's, it's actually far more freeing and enlivening to have these blurry bits to ourselves and that can be in our day but it can also be in our personality and it can also be in our hearts and 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 we're we're constantly still figuring it out and you know maybe changing our mind about what we thought yesterday or the last hour and I think that's something I've come to embrace and that's why I think that that little disclaimer at the start of the self-help book about how I don't have the answers was so important to me because I want to be able to discover new answers for myself too and I want readers to be able to discover the new answers for themselves in themselves. Yeah. Reading that, it made me feel like, oh, okay, I'm in the right hands. Like this is someone mm-hmm. I want to listen to more, you know, talking about our humanness and and that we're all still learning is really important. And and I think it's an it's a new year. And to your point about sticking to something this time of year, you have a, a podcast episode about this that I'll link to. That's so great. I just listened. And obviously there's this collective momentum around change. And you were saying on that episode that you had gotten like hundred million questions about new year's resolutions. And <laughs> it's just so in our culture to change at this time of year. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but usually the best changes come from the richness in the rut or the things that you know, our catalysts, that hard things that become catalysts mm-hmm. to change or moves or things outside of our control, but it's the gentle, slow change. And that's really the opposite energy that this time of year has. And you said something in that episode that I wrote down, you say, what we need is not a promise, it's energy for action. Could you talk about that a little bit? Mm. Yes, because I interestingly didn't really know, like I didn't have the the very definition of resolution in my mind like I know what a resolution is and what the word means but I mm-hmm. often like to go to the dictionary to really understand what a word means and it's the decision to do or not do something which I thought was really interesting because in the decisions that we make often what's nestled in them is this promise of change if we make a decision to move a city or we make a decision to have something in particular for dinner there's this promise of change in in some way and so that promise can sometimes the promise alone doesn't change anything so we actually have to to take the action we have to actually do the work of moving cities for instance otherwise the promise can just be a standstill it can be an expectation and especially around this time of year we're making these promises to ourselves of these things that we're going to do or not do anymore and then when we break those promises because we sleep through our alarm for example or we don't go for a run that day we can really berate ourselves for that that broken promise and that means that we become further stifled and feel as if we're to blame for not changing overnight for not living up to our promises And so in many ways, I think that promises can be quite precarious. And so in their place, I think that finding the energy for the action is far more important than making those lists of promises. And so 
to find the energy for the action. Again, it so beautifully speaks to this idea of, of, of intuiting and paying attention and being curious. That's where we can actually see where the energy for something is. And we can feel it in ourselves. Like if we really want to be moving cities, we can feel the energy start to bubble up. It doesn't need to rely on a promise so much as it does about listening to ourselves or seeing what's coming to the fore. And even something like, as as I know it's a trivial example, but going for that run today, for me, there's been times when I've promised myself that I will go to, I used to get a gym membership and then never go. (laughs) So the gym membership was the promise. And I didn't go because I saw exercise as this way to change my physical body and a way to improve myself as this way. Like once I change that, then I will be happy. Yeah. And so you never go because it's so easy to sort of sabotage that measurement of success. Whereas when I started to see exercise as a way to have energy and that that sort of the energy begets the energy. So I reframed exercise as a way to as a way to feel better mentally, as a way to feel energized, as a way to sleep better, as all these things that were far more energy orientated than promise orientated. And then I find myself, funnily enough, going for that run far more consistently than I would when it's a promise. And so I think it's really about finding where the energy is and there's various ways to do that. And one of the most powerful ways I think is to really decipher between what's a should and a want in your life. And I speak about that in the the book again, because it can be really powerful. There's no energy behind a should, but often we find that there's the the want that that has the energy and that it's so much more seamless to take the action, I think. Yeah. I really, really love that. I used to work at a yoga studio. I I taught yoga and every January 1st, I would get so Mm. annoyed because it was just so packed with people. And then, you know, by March, they like you know, petered off because of this mm-hmm. exact point. And I've, I've been there too. And I, I just really, I really love it because time is made up. Right. And it's like, you know, to use this collective momentum, but resolutions, is, mm-hmm. it's such a harsh word too. Cause it's like this feeling is, of you need to resolve something like you did something wrong, yeah. you know? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's a great way to put it, Katie. It's uh, yeah. Why are we, why are we punishing ourselves at the start of the new year? Yeah, exactly. Celebrating. I know. And to this point too, and another thing that I I didn't mention at all about your book is, you know, the subtitle of your book is letting go of productivity guilt. And I think for so many of us, we gather self-worth out of productivity and creativity and or I do, you know, and and have, and I'm really trying to uncouple those things, but it's challenging. And, and so, you know, with that, like kind of the, the promises of that, can you, can you just talk about like how you define productivity guilt and how accepting your day as it is and your life as it is without the guilt of, you know, what you could be doing similar to this conversation about resolutions? You know, I think that's a big through line of the book. Could you unpack that a little? Mm. Yeah, I think that there's so much of our conversations absolutely encompassed this idea already. And I think that it really starts with this idea that, that productivity, there's definitely nothing wrong with productivity. And you said earlier about, you know, those days that you just, you're kind of zinging, like you're, you're having that perfect day and you're yeah. perfectly productive. And in a way, there's such a mystery to it. And it does feel good. The days that we do the thing, 
sometimes there's nothing more thrilling. It's, it can be a great feeling. It's just this expectation that each day will be like that. It, it's just, it's, um, it's, it's such a high standard that I, I don't think anyone meets. We ebb and flow. We have the days where we do the thing and we're, we're f- feeling like we're flying. And then we have the days where we feel like we're completely falling behind. And so it's just yeah. about embracing those two different days. But the, the productivity guilt can really cloud the latter and it, can sort of have many guises it can it can come in our comparison to other people and what we think other people are doing it can come in this idea of expectation of how we thought that the day would unfold it can come in this rigid routine um, it can come in this idea of expecting ourselves to have this perfect work-life balance so it really has various ways it unfolds but it really can I, I find it most detrimental to to myself when I am being quite rigid about the day and, you know, I've scheduled to do something at a specific time and then that time arrives and I find myself not doing the thing. And so I spiral in feeling guilty about that. And so I don't do anything. And I'm, I'm, I've come to learn that maybe if you're not doing that specific thing at that specific time and there is some flexibility, like say it's not a meeting where someone else is waiting on you, um, maybe it is better to to do turn our attention to some other thing um because that's that's the only the surest way to waste time is to worry about wasting it and i think that's what what happens in the productivity guilt spiral is that all we're doing is worrying about our wasted time and worrying about the thing we're not doing and again as you said that ties beautifully into this this idea of the promises we we make these promises and then when we find ourselves in inaction, not doing the thing at the set time we said we do the thing, then it's not taking us any closer to doing the thing. In fact, it makes it all the more harder to move when we're shrouded in feelings of self-judgment and comparison and deflated feelings. And so instead it's again about finding that energy and that action and maybe that means that instead of doing the thing, you you go for a walk, you call a friend, you do something else on your to-do list. And that is a powerful thing. And I think that that's what can be such a shame about reaching the end of the day. And we can say to ourselves, oh, I didn't do the thing today and ignore all of the riches that we might have done. You yeah. know, we might have had this breakthrough epiphany that day that will serve us for weeks and weeks and weeks to come we might have connected with someone we love we might have helped someone we might have going back to that idea of you know spreading kindness we could have done so many incredible things in a day we just didn't do that one thing that we had on our list and it's not necessarily something to berate it might not have even been up to you might have been outside of your control it's especially i think this time we're seeing how our plans for the day can be completely upended. Like maybe you are a close contact of someone who's got COVID and that will change your whole week. So I think it it just letting go of productivity guilt, I think is really about expanding the day to being more about how we live within it rather than what we accomplish within it. Yes, yes. And letting go of expectations. And mm. as you were talking, I thought about the movie before sunrise i think it is and julie favorite yeah it's so good right surprised that we share a favorite with that totally you know how julie dubley says i think it's the second one where she's like there's so much i want to be doing i end up doing not much yes that's productivity guilt to a t (laughs) 
Right. And it's like, well, just, you just, just do something. And it's also, mm-hmm. you know, this, this other point you talk about so well, which is the paradox of choice and having so many options of what we could be doing or what to do when, or, you know, that really stifles me often too. And you gave this, could, could you maybe talk about indecision a little bit? I, I heard you give a really beautiful metaphor about the hallway in the room. Ah, uh, yes. So that's um this really great TED talk by Pete Davis, um, where he speaks about infinite browsing mode. And that's something that we encounter like so much in our days in terms of what we want to watch on Netflix. We're forever browsing through different options and you might start something and, and then that's no good. So you start another thing. And you can spend hours looking for something to watch and forever in infinite, infinite browsing mode. And we do that with our daily lives and our, our personal lives as well. Um, even dating is a form of infinite browsing mode in many ways. You, you're continuously swiping, looking for the better option. And what can be really stifling about that, that form of indecision, that infinite browsing mode, is that we're forever wandering the hallway. So this is something Pete Davis speaks about in that TED Talk. Um, sorry, commencement speech. You're forever wandering the hallways too indecisive to walk into one of the rooms. And so you're forever suspended. You're not actually walking into a room of life and settling in and seeing what it has to offer and living in it. Instead, you're just a ghost in the hallway. And so I so think good. what I've come to learn about decisions, oh, for so, I, I still do this where I can even make a decision and then second guess it over yeah. and over in my mind, whether it's the right one. And I just have to remind myself that there's actually no way of knowing it's the right decision because even the wrong decision can lead to something that's just unfathomable in our lives in terms of it being like we can't imagine ourselves without it imagine if yeah we lived in a different city and we didn't meet the person that we fell in love with or we took a different job and we didn't have this other opportunity we kind of can't tell it's such a zigzaggy path that we can't actually see they say that you can connect the dots looking back but you can only connect the blurry outlines of those dots anyway. We can't actually see what decisions before that decision led to this decision. Yeah. And so I just have to remind myself that there's no such thing as the right decision. And the most important thing, again, is to make some decision, to take some action. Yeah. So it speaks so beautifully to what we were just talking about with finding the energy, but also what we were talking about with perfectionism. It's all kind of related. And I I hope that the chapters of the book sort of show that, that everything has this knock-on effect, like our comparison to other people might make us take on more so that we look like we're doing more. And then that makes us too busy or our ambition for the future means that we do a lot now to try to have that opportunity later, but then we kind of can't keep up now and our perfectionism can make us indecisive and we can just get so tangled up. Um, So, I think it's really, again, about just listening to the moment and being able to um, to take some kind of action in our days, get into the living room and out of the hallway. <laughs> yeah, it instantly feels better. I, I had this comedian on the podcast years ago, and and you know he has a real, and I think I have this too. This like OCD with decision making of making a decision, reversing a decision, making a decision again. You know, and mm. and um, yes, <laughs> you know, and it, whenever I'm stressed, it's like the it's really bad, and and we just have so many more decisions in our world in our culture now with technology and um, the Netflix example is so good and, you know, ugh, cringy because it's so, it's so visceral, right. Of like, it's so frustrating. And 
you ever listen to Abraham Hicks? Sometimes, yeah. There's, I've been, I've listened to a few lectures and yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, she, she talks about decision making of like just align with something and then it'll reroute you, you know, like just mm. choose. And there's like a relief that comes to just choosing. And mm-hmm. I think you, you really speak to that of like going, going into the room is the choosing because that's where you can linger and learn and you can always leave the room and go into the yeah, other room. You can always leave the room. Go yes, back into the hall. Ho- yeah. Extended the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But the hallway is like uncomfortable and the rooms are in the hallway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 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 Um, Well, this is incredible. Let me ask you just a couple uh, rapid fire questions. Ooh, exciting. (laughs) What are you most excited about in your life right now? Mm, I love this question that you ask people. It's just so full of buoyancy. And I think I was reflecting on it and I think I'm really excited by I think sometimes in our lives we can we can have more closed times and and that's really necessary in terms of we might need to be um, going inward and being more um, self reflective and even closing our social lives a little bit or closing in on focusing on only just a few things and that can be really powerful and potent and then I think we have times when we're more open in our lives and that's where we're sort of letting in more we're saying yes more. We're sort of, yes, making those choices and, and, and seeing where they lead. Um, and I think that with the book coming out, it's, it's a real opening. So it's a closed time during the writing of it through necessity of having to focus on that. And then now that it's out, not only is, is it out in the world, there's an opening to the world. And I'm just really excited by what can happen when you're in that open mode um, and I think that that's sort of the favorite favorite moment is is just seeing who might I get to speak to or who might read the book or how will different rooms open up, I suppose, actually, <laughs> so is one way to look I at it. And so that. it's just kind of, I don't know, I'm just feeling quite open to seeing what enters my life. And that's kind of each day there's like a little moment that can be, that's what's making it the, the surprises of, of that yes. are my favorite part. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm happy that you mentioned that. Like you, you spoke about this somewhere too, of how in our email, you never know what you're going to get, right? There might be that email that's like an idea or an opportunity, which makes it, you know, so attractive to be a distraction and something we want to check, but being open to the surprises and Mm. not to attach, but open to them. And that, that kind of, you know, speaks to your, your point here too. And I just really love that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's invite the surprises. <laughs> yes. For both of us. I love that. And everyone listening, we're like blessing <laughs> us with more, more please. <laughs> What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Oh, oh yum, yum, yum. I, I eat this quite frequently as a treat. Um, but with the book coming out uh, in Australia this week, everyone's well, many people are self-isolating because of the ongoing pandemic and just trying to keep themselves safe and other people safe. And so it was an interesting publication day solo and I treated myself to my favourite Thai food around the corner and they do this incredible Tom Yum arancini bowl and Ooh. it is such a beautiful combination of having like a the an, a Italian arancini but infused with 
Thai tom yum soup and um, that is just incredible. Oh, so I'm so glad you had thing. that. I'm so glad <laughs> you delicious. did something nice and I'm so happy that you had that. And congratulations. And I know it must be complex having a book come out during this. I, I can't even imagine, but it's such a huge accomplishment and the book is seriously so wonderful and, and you're so wonderful and truly, I'm just, I could talk to you forever and I have like 800 million more questions, but now <laughs> that I know you're coming back, I'm going to be more chill about it and, and, and let you go now. But is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked that you never get to talk about? Is there anything that, that you wanted to share that you didn't get to? No, I think that it was a, a beautiful weaving of, of so many different things. So nothing comes to mind, Katie, because you, yeah, you picked up some beautiful questions and threads. So thank you. And we'll definitely go into part two sometime. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I love I how you so. kind of do capsules of people's Yeah. It's like a time, thoughts. exactly like a mm. time capsule of, of you now. And I hope I get to meet you someday. And yeah, yes, I just, I hope to come back when people yeah. can travel again. I would love to yeah, be in the please. US, but you're in LA now. Is that right? I'm in LA. You can yeah. stay with me. I would love to have you. <laughs> Oh, how beautiful. That I can so already fun. tell that that I can I feel like we'd be friends and um yeah. Oh, but it's, yeah. it's just the parallels are quite special and uncanny. So it's um a delight to kind of connect with I don't know, soul twins <laughs> across the across the oceans. Oh yeah, fully. Absolutely. I mean 100 percent That that's how I feel. And I, you're and you're in Melbourne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in Australia before, just before the pandemic and oh, that, wow. that March. Yeah. I was staying with friends in um, Byron and then in, in Sydney and I was going to make it to Melbourne hopefully and had some friends there and um, was going to spend more time there. But my friend I was staying with was kind of like, I feel like this is going to be some, this is early March yeah. of 2020. Oh, and they're like, you got I, out when you did. Yeah. They were like, I think you should get back to the States. And I, I was meant to just spend March and April here in LA and I never went back to New York and shipped mm. my stuff. And here we are. One of those choices oh. that you, you know, can't connect the dots, but ended up being very <laughs> correct. One. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It might've felt wrong at the time, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm ending my trip, but yeah. Yeah. Um, for the best. Yeah. It helped yeah. me to choose. Well, honestly, it helped me to get out mm. of the hallway. Cause I think I would have remained in the hallway for a really long time of like, should I leave New York? Should I not? It would have been a whole big thing, like saying goodbye. And I just didn't do it because of the pandemic. So. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, well done. Um, oh, thank you. Well, next time come to Melbourne. Which we yes. Yes. I would love it. Mm. Um, well, let's end with a deep breath together. So um, oh, yes. inhale, let it out. <sighs> thank well, you. <laughs> thank you so much. And everyone listening, get yourself a hard copy of I Didn't Do the Thing Today, Letting Go of Productivity Guilt. It just came out in Australia. And, I, and when does it come out in the States? January 11th. Okay. It'll be out the week this is coming out. So oh, wow. get yourself a hard copy. And I am so grateful to meet you and everyone follow Extraordinary Routines if you're not already, but I'm sure you already are because it is amazing and just truly, you know, you have a uncanny ability to find great quotes and information and everything is designed so thoughtfully. So I just want to send so many let it out people your way. And I'm just really grateful that you took the time to do the podcast. Thank you, Katie, and thank you for all the work that you do. It's so appreciated. Thank you. 
That's my episode with Madeline. Like I said, get yourself a copy of her book. Follow everything she does. She's incredible. I'm so glad she came on the show. And let us know what you think of this conversation. I'm really curious about what your experience has been with routines and perhaps getting too dogmatic with them and getting into ruts or really loving them and wanting to get more into routines and be a bit more regimented. So let's keep talking about this. I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm at Katie Dalebout on Instagram. Follow me and send me a message or comment on my recent photo and let me know and share where you're listening to this podcast. I'm really curious and let it out has an Instagram, let it out with three T's and also follow our guest at Extraordinary Routines. We'll link to everything in the show notes. And if you want the show notes sent right to you, as well as a brief letter from me, I write something almost weekly called the Let It Out Letter. So if you would like that and to be on my newsletter list, link in the show notes. And I'll leave you with one last quick announcement because it's the beginning of the year and because we spoke about that and the collective momentum around change. I wrote a book a couple years ago about journaling that I alluded to in this and writing for emotional wellness. And I have a series of online workshops called The Kits that are filled with journaling prompts and ideas that have helped me since the publication of the book. And for the rest of this month, I made a code for you listening and the code is 22. That is 22 spelled out, no dash. And that will give you 22% off of all of the kits that we have. And I'm doing that because I feel like they're quite relevant right now with this collective pull to perhaps starting a new routine and just becoming a bit more self-aware and the quietness of winter is you know part of that even and i don't think that doing some sort of journaling or resolutions on a certain day is optimal but checking in with ourselves and taking inventory of where we are and where we want to be is useful any time of year any day And I actually have this workshop that I used to teach in person for several years. It's called Resolution Reframe, and it's just a life inventory. And I I named it sort of timely to the new year because that's when I used to teach it, but really can be done at any time, the day of your, on your birthday every year or once a month or, you know, whatever. So that is still 22% off if you want to try it. More information is in the show notes. My best friend did it recently and and it was so fun to hear her talk about it. And I think I'm going to do it this week or next maybe. Anyway, let me know if you are doing the kits and have any questions or comments or feedback. I would love to know. And I'm really grateful you're here. If this episode was useful or interesting or entertaining to you, send it to a friend and let me know who you would like to see on the podcast, what you want more of. The emoji for this week's episode is the post-it note. Is there a post-it note? I feel like that's like a good to-do list item. There might be a post-it note. If not like a journal or a piece of paper, you can get a little loose with it. Anyway, thank you so much. I love you. So grateful that you're here and I will talk to you next week with a new episode.